following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Welcome to CCF. Uh, This morning we're looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. I call this uh, bringing it home, living the new life of Christ at home and work. All right, so let's uh, begin by reading uh, from Colossians 3, uh, starting at verse 18, and uh, then we'll, we'll dig in. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. All right, of all the pastors in the Bible, this is probably the one I most don't want to preach. I tried to find somebody else to take this passage, but nobody would volunteer. Uh, There's actually a few passages, um, all by Paul, where he addresses this subject of husbands and wives, children. Uh, It's it's often called the household table or code, how to conduct uh, relationships as, as as a couple in marriage and, 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 and as a father, as a parent to a child, child to parent, and also as uh, slave holders, slave owners with uh, their house, house servants, right? And um, last time I spoke, I believe it was, uh, it was in Ephesians, when I was going through the book of Ephesians, very similar parallel passage to this, and I preached on uh, this topic, and afterwards uh, this lady came up very distraught and troubled, actually quite upset and trying not to be angry, but she was pretty angry, actually. And uh, she was like, this is just wrong, right? And this this lady had actually been to a Bible college seminary, was uh, uh, actually overall pretty conservative, uh, but she had been uh, taught at this school that these verses were outdated and really no longer applicable, and that, uh, that this was really nonsense, that we live in a different time, a different age, a different culture, and that... Uh, women don't need and should not, and it's not even biblical for women to submit to their husbands anymore, right? And they should just be co-leaders in in the home, and the husband should not be over his wife. And and she just rejected this idea of submission, and she was wanted to make sure I did too. <laughs> like she really wanted to, but, right? So if you feel that way, you can come talk to me afterwards. Um, uh, um, and, and I'll be honest that the teaching on this topic is, is kind of difficult. In fact, this whole cha- this whole section uh, raises some difficulties and problems for uh, for us in our modern world, right? Uh, 
we live in an age when, when for any of us, the idea of submitting to anybody and to have being under any kind of authority is, is looked as being extreme and abusive. <laughs> like, who has a right to tell me what to do? If you tell me what to do, you're abusing me. I feel unsafe. Right? It's kind of the cry of our modern world. Um, and then you read a little further, and it's not just about wives submitting to their husbands, but Paul talks to slaves, and he says, Slaves, submit to and, and, and be good workers for your masters. And we, we say, Paul, you know, what are you saying here? Uh, why aren't you telling these slaves to rebel against this terrible and evil institution? And why are you even in any way condoning it, right? This is morally wrong. Uh, it violates, it's an institution, slavery was an institution that absolutely violates uh, all human rights and human dignity. Paul, how can, you, how can you tell slaves that they need to submit to and obey their masters? You should be inciting rebellion against them, right? Liberate these slaves. Haven't you seen the, haven't you seen the slogans, right? No more slavery. Paul, what's wrong with you? Well, um, you know, at the very least, whatever we want to think about Paul's day in slavery, uh, it seems that this, these passages seem uh, quite out of touch with the modern world. And thankfully, um, slavery is, is no longer legal. It's no longer acceptable. Um, so these passages seem, at best, just very out of touch. And, and it seems like they could speak nothing to us in our time. In fact, uh, one commentator uh, writing on this passage says... We can only preach these passages critically in order to unmask them, unmask them as texts promoting patriarchal, that is male, violence. <laughs> They're saying, you know, Paul just got this wrong, right? And it's, it's, it's actually evil, right? Um, well, most of us probably, hopefully, wouldn't go quite that far. But maybe we do feel that, you know, we just live in a different time, in a different culture, a different age, and that the, the passages like this in the Bible really have no authority to speak into our time and our, our radically different culture, right? Uh, it was written at a different time and in a different culture, and so these, these truths can't really be relevant or apply to us here and now today. Um, and oftentimes we, we want to make culture uh, authoritative over Scripture, um, or, you know, is the Bible actually authoritative? Does the, the Bible have the right to speak over culture? Right? Is, is the Bible actually true and culture wrong? Well, these are the things we kind of wrestle with when we come to passages like this. Uh, how can Scripture speak with authority over our time and into our culture? Uh, or do we need to adapt the teachings of the Bible so that we, we conform Scripture to fit modern culture? Uh, how do we understand and apply teachings like this in our own lives? Well, uh, that's the, the challenge we have before us this morning. So let's see if we can unpack this and try to see what Paul would say if he were, if, if, if he were here this morning, right? If he was in our culture, uh, what might Paul say? Well, I think he would say very much the same things. Uh, it would be a little different, though, because uh, he would not address slaves and slave owners. Um, but, um, but, but let's think about and, and just look a little bit at, at, at uh, what Paul wrote. And it's important to understand, first of all, that Paul was, of course, living in a very different culture, a very different time, right? 
And uh, uh, what Paul is, uh, is talking about here really fits into the bigger context and setting of Colossians chapter 3. Right? And, and uh, um, he's writing to people in, in a culture that was very broken uh, and very different from ours. Uh, but equally broken, or maybe more broken, right? And so when Paul wrote to uh, the Colossians, um, it's, it's, a, it's helpful to understand how people reading it in, in Colossae, how they would have heard what Paul wrote. And, and the truth is, they would have received this instruction very differently than we do. They would not have seen it as harsh. They would not have seen it as, um, uh, you know, supporting male dominance, Right? And that's because uh, Paul was writing to people in a culture that was absolutely dominated by men. Right? It was a time and an age in the Roman, the Roman world where men really did control everything. Uh, it, was, it was not just male-dominated, but, male but extremely male-dominated. And uh, it was a time when women really had, and children actually, had no rights uh, if you were living as a woman in, in this in Bible times, in ancient times, uh, you would have been treated basically as property, somewhere on the level of an animal or a slave. Right? Women had no rights of their own. Uh, most women had no education. Uh, most women were uh, completely dependent on the men in their lives, or their dads or their husbands, to provide for them. Uh, the worst thing that could happen to you in that time was to become widowed. Uh, and because you were you were without anyone to care for you, and oftentimes it meant you know starving to death because you had no one to care for you. Um, the father uh, or husband had total authority over everything in their house. So in, in that time, women and children had no rights. Right, the the dad or the husband could do anything to their their wife and their children, up to murdering them. Right, and there was no there was no criminal recourse. So if a dad felt his son was out of control and he killed his son, that was his right as a dad. Right, so that's the world that Paul is writing to. That's the context that Paul is writing to. Um, they could beat their wives, they could beat their children, they could beat their slaves, and and at the same time, you got to understand that culture looked at men and it judged them. And there were expectations uh, and, and a lot of public opinion about how he would conduct himself in the world. And the standard was how well-ordered your house was. So it wasn't if you drove a BMW or if you had a nice suit. They would look at your household and they would say, this guy's respectable based on how well-organized and ordered his household was, especially if he was a, a man of wealth. Of course, if you were a slave, you, were, uh, you had no rights and you were nobody. But if you were a free man... Right? You were kind of judged by how organized your house was, how obedient your children were, how hardworking your slaves were. And there was a common understanding that slaves were lazy and would cheat you, and the only way to manage them was to be cruel to them. You had to beat it into them to make them comply, and that would make you look good. Children also needed to be controlled, it was felt, or they would, be, they would rebel. So um, children were often raised with... Uh, with uh, very harsh, excessive forms of discipline and control. So, in, in Paul's world, it was the man. It was the man's job. It was his responsibility to dominate and bring order to the world and society. 
And in Roman culture, it was, it was felt that this was this kind of the salvation of the Roman Empire. Like if the family structure fell apart, if, if men were not controlling their slaves and controlling their children and their wives, that all of society would begin to crumble and it would bring chaos into the world. Uh, so you were being a good citizen. You were, you were protecting uh, Roman society by, and your reputation by being this kind of harsh, domineering, controlling dad and husband. Um, now, of course, we look at this and we would say, well, that's just horrible, right? That's horrible. Uh, that, is, uh, that is anything but good. And, and, of course, in Paul's day, they would have seen this as being honorable and good, being a strong man and being in control, right? We look at this, and especially from if you're from the West, and we would say, this is horrible to treat people this way to be uncaring and to use people in this way. Now, realistically, the way it oftentimes worked out is these men were not terrible. Oftentimes, they, uh, they did love their wives. They did care about their children. And they, uh, they would uh, offset some of these expectations with uh, generosity and kindness and would take care of their families. But this is the pressure, and this was the world that they lived in. Now, of course, we live in a very different world, very different, Right? But is our world necessarily better, right? Is our culture inherently better, or is it just different, right? Uh, we have a culture in the West, and I'm speaking here mostly of uh, Western cultures. Uh, you'll have to judge for yourself if you're from a more Asian or Eastern culture. But in the West, uh, culture is dominated by the thoughts of my individual rights and my complete independence and freedom, Right? So in the West, we uphold the value of every person has rights, no matter how young or old, and every person has the right to their own freedom, their own course, and their own path, right? It's all about getting my own way, realizing my dreams and my goals, and getting my needs met. It's all about me. And um, it doesn't matter how, those, how my needs may over run or be in conflict with your needs. I don't really care about that. I just care about my needs. It's about me. It doesn't matter how meeting my needs may impact others or, or even turn society upside down as long as I have my rights, as long as I get what I want, and as long as I can fulfill my dreams. Um, if you know the Bible very well, you would know and see that this is not from Scripture. The Bible, this is not sanctioned by the Bible. Uh, democratic, I hate to say this, but uh, this is new to you, but democratic Western culture is not God-ordained. Right? Sorry. It's just as evil, right? It's a different kind of evil, very different kind of evil, but it's just as evil. Because both cultures were rooted ultimately in, in the old, selfish, selfish sinful Life that was apart from Christ, right? It's horrible, right? Our, our selfishness, our, our being consumed with my own rights, uh, not caring for others, uh, it, it's just as evil, right? This, this being consumed with me. And it, com- it, it ignores completely the greater good of society and of living out uh, God's love, right? So our culture is not any better. It's just, it is different, right? So... Um, so the question is, whether you're Paul living in his day or we're living in our day, the question is, as we come up against culture that's horrible, 
that is rooted in selfishness, that's rooted in the old person, the old man, that's dominated by, as Paul says earlier in Colossians, by the principality and powers of the world. As we bump up against these cultural values, how do we respond? Do we change the culture? Do we try to overthrow the culture? Or do we conform to the culture? Uh, Well, uh, it's interesting Paul does not seek, as we see what he writes here, Paul is not trying to overthrow the culture, which is kind of interesting because there were things in that culture that were so horrific, slavery for one, that, um, that it seems kind of mind-boggling that Paul doesn't try to overthrow it, but he doesn't. Right? And when we look back at Jesus, Jesus also did not come to overthrow culture. Uh, we don't see Jesus trying to undermine the uh, Roman rule in Israel, even though they wanted him to. Right? Um, now, of course, I believe, uh, especially given in our modern world where we have where we have the power or or the possibility to influence culture, we should do that. Um, but Paul doesn't doesn't take this approach. It's important to understand that for, for Paul, the church in his day was was far too small and insignificant to be any real voice or to have any real impact in culture. In fact, in Paul's days, the church was being persecuted by the culture. And uh, the, the church had no voice to stand up and say, stop slavery, it's wrong. <laughs> uh, they would think they were crazy. It's like, you're crazy. What do you, what do you mean it's wrong? It's, it's, it's what it is, right? And so the church was in no place to influence or change or overthrow uh, culture or the, the rules and institutions of the society they lived in. Um, now, it's important to note that Paul does uh, change things in the structure of the church. Right? So when it comes to the community of faith, Paul writes in Colossians 3.11, here, that is in the church, there is, there is not Greek and Jew, there is not circumcised and uncircumcised, barbar- barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in, in, in all. So Paul said, look, in the church, in the community, in the world, in the society of the, of the local church, all that disappears, right? And there's just Christians. There's just people who are followers of Christ. They're children of God. But Paul wasn't an idiot, right? He knew that they still lived in a society that played by different rules, right? And Paul makes no, no effort to overthrow culture. Uh, honestly, there, there are a lot of things in our modern culture I would love to overthrow, Right, would love to overthrow. I would love to rebel against smartphones and all electronic devices, which is kind of crazy because I remember 20 years ago dreaming about the day when my phone could also have uh, make phone calls and have an address book on it. Right, I thought this is going to be like this is going to be the greatest thing ever. Now that we actually are there, I'm going. This is really a bad idea, right? And it's just, I think, wrecking our world that we have all this stuff so available. I would love to destroy it. I would love to destroy social media. I think it's just an evil, horrible thing, right? Um, but the truth is, I have a smartphone and I have a Facebook account, right? Um, as much as I don't like them, I find that it's really difficult to live in this world because it's so much a part of how life works here. Practically speaking, I'm kind of stuck with these things. As much as I hate them, I'm stuck with it, right? And, uh, yeah, you could say, and in theory you could throw away your phone, and, and, and but 
people would hate you because <laughs> they could never get a hold of you, right? You would make people very frustrated. It's just not practical, right? And, and much was the same in, in, in Paul's day. Um, it had become so much the way life was, it was very impractical to just uh, extinguish some of these institutions. Right? It's the way life worked for them. Um, well, then on the other side, do we, do we conform to culture? Is Paul saying here, well, that's okay, we can just conform ourselves. We just, we're just going to adapt to the culture. They practice slavery, so I'm going to practice slavery. I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, men in that culture dominated women, so I'm going to dominate women. I'm just going to conform to the culture. Is that what Paul says? Well, of course, Paul does not say that either. We do not overthrow culture, but we also don't conform to it. So what, what does Paul say then? Well, Paul says that the goal is neither overthrowing culture or conforming, but he says we need to learn how to be Christ in the midst of our culture. Okay, In the midst of this ungodly, wicked world, what does it mean for us to be Christ? To live Jesus and to live his character and his nature in the midst of uh, social media, <laughs> in a world dominated by smartphones, right? How do we live Christ? And that's really what Paul's talking about in this passage. And to understand what he's really getting at, we have to go all the way back up to the beginning of chapter 3, if we're not going to read the whole thing. But what Paul has been talking about for the, the whole last chapter, which for us has taken several Sundays to get through because there's a lot in there, but what he's been talking about is, is putting off the old, right? He says, you have been crucified with Christ. Uh, see, don't seek the things of this world, but seek the things above where Christ is. Put on the new life in Christ. Put off the old person. So he says in Colossians 3, 5 to 8, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. He says, you live in a world where this dominates. Uh, don't conform yourself to, to the junk of the world. Don't let yourself be conformed to uh, its standard of morality, to its standard of, of speech that's full of anger and wrath and gossip, slander. Put those things away from you. And instead, put on what? Put on the new life of Christ. He says, you have been redeemed, you have been saved. Jesus died for you and he has given you new life. The old person has been put to death on the cross and through the work of Jesus, if, if you have put your faith and trust in him, you are a new person. You are not that old person anymore. You are a new person. And this new person is to be characterized by the very nature of Jesus. What is that nature like? He says, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Put on hearts of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if someone has a complaint against another, forgiving them. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Uh, we live in a sinful, broken world. And Jesus is saying, you're not going to do anything about that. You're not going to change the culture you live in. But here's what it means to live Christ in a broken, 
hurting, sinful world. And, and what's significant here is Paul, um, Paul uh, unpacks this. He, he takes a close look at what this looks like most in, 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 at home and at work. Right? So in other words, I think Paul's saying here, look, when you put on this new life of Christ, this is not something you put on Sunday morning just when you go to church. Of course, we all do that, right? Right? When we go to church, we make sure we put on the new, the new, because we're at church, right? And so we're we're pretty careful when we're around other Christians at church. We we we're careful to say the right things. Like I don't see too many people storming in here, throwing their Bible down, going around traffic. Right? It'd be like, whoa, buddy, like the new life. Remember that new life? No, we put that on right when we come to church. Uh, maybe when we go out in public, right? Maybe we we know we got the Jesus T-shirt, right? We got to look the part, right? That's easy. It's temporary. But Paul says the real test of this is not how you put it on at church, how you put it on for a show, when when you know when, when every when your neighbor's watching, when your mom's watching. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the real question is, how do you live this out at home? How do you put on the new life when you go home, right? In your relationships with your family or at work where you're rubbing shoulders with people every day, day in and day out, day by day by day in the work world. Like, this is where the test is. Is is it just a show or is it genuine life transformation where you really are a different person? We all know that we can't fake it at home, right? We all know that that's where the real me is is seen, right? Uh, nobody knows who you really are, like your wife or your husband or your children, right? Sometimes they know us better than we know ourselves because we can sometimes even lie to ourselves and pretend we're something we're not. But our spouse and our children know, right? They know the real me. And so Paul says, look, if this is going to have any meaning anywhere... It must, you must bring it home. It must mean something in family relationships. If it's not true here, it's not true. Right? You really are not putting on the new life. Right? You're just pretending. So, um, so that's really the context here. And what, what's unfortunate is that oftentimes we read these, these passages of Paul that talk about wives submitting and, you know, slaves submitting, and we see it out of context of what he's really saying here. And what Paul is saying here simply is, look, you are new creatures in Christ. Live that new life and live it most significantly at home and at work, right? And if you're doing that, this is what it's going to look like, right? And so, uh, um, since he starts with the word submission, I'd like to just pick up with that and, and, and and, and say that uh, putting on the new life is ultimately a life of submission, not just for wives, actually, but for all of us. Right? First and foremost, uh, living the new life is a life of submission. And uh, the reason it's, it's the new life is because there's nothing in our old self, there's nothing in the old man, the old nature, that in any way likes the word submission. Right? It just rubs us the wrong way. And it starts rubbing us the wrong way when we're about three minutes old. 
well, maybe a little bit longer than that, maybe more like three months old. But you see it in a, in a baby from, from the very beginning, right? And you say, the, the little baby crawls up to an electrical outlet, and you say, no. And what does the child do? No. And they're going for that. They're going to stick their finger, right? They're going to defy you. Why? Because it is, it is in our nature to be defiant. Right? That, is, that is at the heart of the old person, to not submit. Right? And so um, when, we, when we look through this passage, he's not saying only to wives to submit. Okay? Submission is something we all must do if we are living the new life. Right? And in fact, when we look through this passage, we see uh, the first thing is that um, submission begins with submitting to the Lordship of Christ. Right? So when we put on the new life in Christ, the first thing we do if we're going to walk in this new life is we must uh, acknowledge Jesus as Lord, as ruler, as master over our whole life. Right? In other words, when I come to Christ and I submit my life to him, I allow Jesus to get to tell me how to live and what to do. I submit to his rule and authority over my life. And so we see this in many, uh, pictured in many contexts within the family and work in this passage. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Why? Because it's fitting in the Lord. Right? Not because your husband's smarter, stronger, wiser. We, don't, we know that's not true, right? We'll, we'll admit that. We're idiots, right? You don't submit to us because we're smart. No. You do it because it's, it's, it's what... You do in submission to Christ, right? Submitting to your husband is, is something you do in submission to Christ because he is Lord and ruler over your life. It's not because uh, men are better, because uh, there's some inequality, right? Paul already said, no, in Christ, Christ is all in all. So you're, there's, there's equality. This is not about who's better, who's more important, right? It's about your submission to Christ, right? It's, it's what is fitting. It's what's appropriate, right, in your submission to the Lord. Right? But husbands, um, he doesn't, notice in verse 19, he gives a command to husbands. And when you're commanded, it's, it's, this is something you submit to. He says, husbands, love your wives. Right? Do not be harsh with them. Um, this is a command to be obeyed. This is something husbands need to submit to. Right? He's not saying, men, just treat your wives however you want. Just bully them and bowl over them. It's fine. No worries. No, he says, no. Uh, in submission to Christ, you need to love your wife. And we'll talk in a, more in a minute uh, what that really looks like. Children, obey your parents in everything. Why? For this pleases the Lord. Not because parents are bigger. Not because they're stronger. Not because it's just how culture works. No. You do this to please God. Because you live in submission to Him, to Christ, right? And here, Lord uh, certainly refers to Jesus, right? It's the Lordship of Christ. Um, uh, again, another command to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Right? God's bossing fathers around. They, they have to submit to the instruction and, and command of Christ. Uh, verse 23, whatever you do, as, as an employer, here the context is now slaves, uh, we're not slaves. Well, some of you might feel like it, right? You feel like your boss is a slave driver. Um, but in, in the workplace, he says, work heartily as for the Lord. Right? You're doing this in submission to Christ. You're doing your, your job with wholeheartedness and with excellence in submission to Christ. And he says in verse 24, you are serving the Lord Christ. 
So the work you, you do at your job isn't just for your boss. He says, ultimately, we do these things for Christ, for His benefit and His glory, for, as He is Lord over your life. Even masters, he says, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. All right, so here's the thing. Nobody escapes submission. In fact, I love in, in, in the kind of parallel account in Ephesians, Paul says, submit one to another. Right? Submit, submit to each other. Right? Submission is part of the new life of Christ. And I would say it's probably one of the hardest parts. Right? I just don't like people telling me what to do. And it's even worse when they're right. Right? Like when you know they're right. Oh, right? That's the old flesh. That's the old self, the old person, the old man. The new life in Christ submits. And here's what's amazing. Uh, we said that the new life in Christ is ultimately the very nature and character of Christ, right? Jesus lived a life of perfect submission. Right? Jesus says, I don't do my own will. I do what the Father has commanded me. Jesus lived his whole life in perfect obedience and submission to the Father. Right? So when, when Jesus asks us to submit, he's not asking us to do something that he does not model and didn't live out every moment and every second of his life on earth. And even in heaven, he lives under the authority and rule of God the Father. Right? He submits. He, he lives a life of submission. Um, so we begin there, right? We begin. If you want to live in the new life, the first question we have to ask ourselves is, am I submitting to Christ? Does he have the right to rule over my life? Or do I bear my own independence and my own, assert my own rights and my own will and say, no, even Jesus can't tell me what to do. Right? That's the old life. That is not the new and, and and if we say if we say with our if we say with our mouth well of course Jesus is Lord over my life just not my husband right just not my boss right just not my dad right sure I'll submit to Jesus but I'm not going to submit to my dad he's a jerk right? well here's the thing in Scripture it's very clear that we submit to others as an act of submission to Christ and God you can't separate those things your submission to Christ gets lived out by submitting to the human authorities that God has placed over us. And we all have them. Nobody gets to be king of the universe. Sorry. sorry. I know we want to be king of the universe. We want to live uh, out from underneath the rule and authority of any human being. It doesn't work that way. right? Our submission to Christ gets lived out uh, through human authorities that God has placed over our life. And we all have them. Right? So it begins there. Second thing, um, submission is, I think, oftentimes uh, wrongly understood as allowing another person to dominate your life. And that's unfortunate because that's not really what the word submit means. Uh, Jesus did not allow God the Father to dominate his life, to harshly oppress and abuse him, uh, to bully him. Right? That's not submission, right? Uh, that's not what submission means. And it's unfortunate that oftentimes um, Paul gets accused of that. Right? Um, what is submission then? Well, Paul says in Ephesians, he gives a little better explanation in Ephesians, and he says in Ephesians 5.24, Now as the church submits to Christ, 
so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So really the, the picture or the model of what submission is is in relation to the church submitting to Christ. Right? So we as the followers of Christ, as I just said, we, we are to submit to Christ's lordship. Ultimately, what does that mean? Right? As when we as the church submit to Christ, what are, we, what are we doing? Are we asking Jesus to bully us? Are we asking Jesus to, Jesus to turn us into puppets? Right? Sometimes I think that would be easier. <laughs> Sometimes I wish Jesus would turn me into a puppet, right? But that's not what Jesus does, right? Ultimately, what do we submit to him for? Well, when we see in Ephesians, what we see is that the church submits to Christ uh, as Savior, as Rescuer, and as the one who redeems us. And, and here's the thing. Ultimately, Submission is entrusting yourself to someone else's care. Let me say that again. Submission is ultimately entrusting your life into somebody else's care and protection. That's ultimately what submission is. Now, for this to work, we do have to give up some of our own will and some of our own fight, right? And one of the best pictures or examples of this is... um, I don't know if you've seen these, there's some amazing videos now out on YouTube or wherever uh, of these animals that are trapped, stuck in a fence or stuck in a mud bog, right? And some of these are like dangerous animals, like tigers and lions and, you know, elk with sharp antlers. And, um, you know, somebody, some, somebody hiking through the woods comes across these animals and they want to rescue them. And there's these amazing videos of these people kind of taking their life in their own hands to rescue these poor creatures. Um, and, but for it to work, the uh, the animal, which is which which is dangerous, has to kind of back off, right? It can't attack because <laughs> if you attack your rescuer, you're not going to get rescued, right? So um, this, this sometimes takes a while. Sometimes the animal has to get so exhausted and depleted that it kind of gives up, right? Uh, but when it does that, when it gets to this place where it gives up where it chooses not to fight back and attack, then the, the people can come along and they can rescue it, right? And the animal it really is entrusting their rescue, entrusting their care to these people who before would be an enemy. But they entrust them to their care and these people get them out of the fence and pull them out of the mud and rescue them, right? It's a great picture, right? Jesus wants to rescue you. You can't rescue him when you're fighting back, right? You have to give up. You have to entrust your life into his hands and believe that Jesus is going to rescue and take care of you. And that's a beautiful picture of what true submission is, right? A wife who is submitting to her husband um, hopefully <laughs> trusts that he wants to do the right thing for her, that he loves her, that he wants to care for her, that he wants to protect her, and that submission is, is entrusting her life into his care, right? That's ultimately what it is. Um, uh, now, of course, Paul's writing this to, to people who he believes are putting on the new life. So Paul's picturing here a Christian home. He's pic- picturing a Christian marriage where the husband and the wife are both followers of Christ who are both putting on this new life, right? Where the husband really is uh, deeply concerned about his family. And he is trustworthy as one who provides and cares and protects and looks after his, his home and his family. But of course, in the, in, in the world we live in, it's not always that way. 
And you may say, yeah, I can trust Jesus, but I don't know if I can trust my husband, right? Maybe he's not a believer. Maybe he is not a strong Christian, right? Maybe he is not submitting himself to Christ, right? Well, what then? Well, it's also important to note that in this passage, in the very instructions Paul gives, uh, he's doing something really radical. And you see, in, in Paul's day, you've got to understand that in Paul's day, no one ever, ever, in fact, there's no, there's no writings in, in, in all the stuff we have from this era of people instructing wives or children, right? Why? Well, because that would be a waste of time. Why would you instruct wives and children? They have no right, they have no say. The very fact that Paul is telling wives, wives, uh, you need to submit to your husbands, right? He is, he, he, this may not sound like it to us, but in, this, in Paul's day, this was empowering women. Because he was saying to women, look, submission is a choice you make. It's not something that's, it's not, you're not a slave, you're not in chains, you're not a puppet. In, in a Christian godly home, it's a choice you make. It's a decision you make. You choose voluntarily to submit to your husband. And he says something to children, and this was even more extreme. Like in, in Paul's day, I'm telling you, nobody would have said to children, children, obey your parents. It'd be like, I don't know, it'd be t- t- telling your ch- child to breathe. It's like, like a waste of time. Of course, gonna, of course you have to, right? By, by very just giving the instruction, Paul is empowering children that obedience is a voluntary choice. Which, I, which, by the way, that is what obedience is, right? Forcing somebody to do something is not making them obey. Obey is always something you choose, right? It's when you willingly um, comply. Anything else is, is, uh, is just bullying somebody. It's not bringing about obedience. Uh, so so Paul, Paul's, uh, by the very way he addresses the topic, he is saying, look, uh, submission is voluntary. It's something you need to choose to do out of, uh, because of the lordship of Christ. Right? So do, women, to, do wives and children always have to obey? Well, actually, no. All right, no. I was like, whoa, whoa, Tim, what are you saying here? You mean they don't always have to obey? No, it's a choice, right? And, you know, guys, I hate to tell you this, but if your wife doesn't obey, she's not submitting, it is her choice, right? It is her choice. Now, she can't submit to the Lordship of Christ and, and not, not sub, submit to your authority, okay? But she doesn't have to. It's voluntary. And uh, Paul, puts a, Paul puts a disclaimer. And it's really important that we read these, these words. It's easy to overlook. He says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. In other words, uh, submission comes with limits. He's not talking here about unlimited submission to everything. Now, he does say to children, you should obey your parents and everything, but that's not what he says to wives. And it's also, notice, he doesn't say wives, obey your husbands. <laughs> right? He doesn't actually say that. He says submit. Right? And it's as is fitting in the Lord. Uh, if you're married to a, a, a husband who is not a believer, uh, he may ask Things that are not in the Lord, that are not fitting of your life as a follower of Christ. And that was a problem in Paul's day. Husbands could say to their wives, you need to go worship with me at the temple, worship the idols and sacrifice to the idols. Okay? And Paul's not saying they have to comply with that. That is not submitting as is fitting in the Lord. Right? 
Now, this is this is a, wives. This is a, women. This is a great you know out, right? Like you could just say, I don't want to do this. This is not fitting in the Lord. I'm not feeling that dinner is fitting in the Lord. I'm feeling that God would have us fast tonight. Okay. Um, yes, you can use this um, maybe beyond its its intention, right? Um, uh, so, so again, we, we have to come back to our submission in Christ. But the point is, if a wife is being abused, does she submit to that? No, that is not fitting in the Lord, right? And, 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 and it's unfortunate that oftentimes pastors and Christians counsel women to stay in abusive relationships where they're being harmed and abused, right? That is not fitting in the Lord. But that, that is not what Paul teaches here. This is not blind, uh, unlimited, unrestrained, subjecting yourself to everything. Right? It is it is submission with with limits and it's voluntary. And there's time when it's not appropriate. Right? Now, of course, um, this has to be done with submission too. So, uh, if a wife feels very uncomfortable, feels like something is not right, she doesn't just say, "Well, you're an idiot" to her husband. That would not be a very submissive attitude, right? But you can say, "Lord," you can say to your husband, "You know." Is this really fitting? I'm going I'm to just challenge, raise a question. Is this really fitting in the Lord? Is this really God's purpose and will for our family and our marriage? Right. And so to do this well, it needs to be done, yes, voluntary, voluntarily and with limits, but with humility and compassion. Remember what we're talking about here is putting on the new life. And Paul said the new life, he says, you must put away anger, wrath, malice, and slander. So, so being a submissive wife is not yelling and being angry and full of wrath towards your husband, right? We're putting those things away. But it does mean walking with humility and kindness. Right? Humility and kindness. Uh, so, so here's a simple question, right? If you're a wife who's wrestling with this, does your resistance to your husband's leadership, or if you're a child, does your resistance to your parents' authority, or if you're an employer... Does your resistance to your boss's expectations come from the old sinful self or from the new life in Christ? Right. Where is it coming from? Right. Um, and, and what do you need to do? Like, What does it mean for you to put on the new life of Christ in those relationships? All right, move along. We're running out of time here. A couple more real quick. Um, third principle that is important is that, that we need to learn to dance. Okay, we need to learn to dance. Um, you know, there's this in the modern world. There's this idea that leadership is inherently evil and wrong, and that anything truly biblical and God ordained is leaderless. We want to have leaderless companies. We want to have leaderless churches. We want to have leaderless marriages. Let's just all co-lead together. Let's just all be leaders, right? But life doesn't work that way. Okay, life just does not work that way. In any relationship, we need leaders and we need followers, right? We need people who are in charge and we need people who are following. And uh, the simplest illustration of this is it takes two to tango. You guys know what tango is? What is tango? It's a dance. It's a, it's a kind of dance, right? And if you've ever watched tango, it's, it's pretty cool, right? And these people do some pretty crazy athletic gymnastic moves super fast, right? And they're throwing each other around. They're doing all these kind of crazy things. And here's the deal. If one person's not leading and one person's not following, it's not dancing. It's a wrestling match. It's, it's football. Okay, it's just football. 
It's just two people colliding into each other, knocking each other over. Right? That's the way life works, right? For it to work well, somebody has to lead and somebody has to follow. And I don't, I, you know, I didn't make this up, okay, I don't know why. And, and You know, you can talk to this with God when you get to heaven. I don't know why, but God in the home, not in all the world and universe, but in the home, God called men to be the leaders, and he called wives and children to follow, right? And it works best when, when somebody leads and somebody follows. Co-leading is just a wrestling match, right? It's chaos. It doesn't work. Um, now, does that mean that a voice or uh, that a, a wife or a child don't have a voice? No, of course not. Any smart leader gives voice to those he's following. He listens and tunes into them, right? Uh, which really brings us to the next point. Um, leadership is also an act of submission. Okay, leadership is not taking control and telling everybody what to do. Leadership ultimately, this kind of being a godly husband, godly father, godly employer, godly boss, is ultimately an act of submission. But here's the difference. Uh, wives and children submit to their husband and, and employ, employees, you know, workers, submit to their uh, husband, father, boss's authority. Um, but fathers and, and husbands submit to their uh, their wife and their children's needs. You don't submit to their authority, but you submit to their needs. Right? Paul says, Husbands, love your wives. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Uh, the word he uses here for love is agape. And agape means selfless, sacrificial, and serving. Agape love is sacrificial, selfless, and serving. The ultimate example is Jesus, who did not spare his own life, but gave himself up for us, who sacrificed his own life to serve us and to redeem us. That is agape love. Uh, A godly husband and father is one who sacrifices his own desires and needs and interests and puts the needs of his wife and children above his. He submits his needs below that of his family. He puts them first. He puts their needs and their desires and their interests above his own. Right. So love is submitting. Um, uh, in the ESV it says, Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh to them. That's actually not a terrible translation because the literal word here is the word literally to, to not be embittered towards your wife. Right. And it's a passive verb, so it's something that you don't allow to happen to you. Now here's the question. Why, why would husbands be bitter about their wives? Well, some of you think that, some of you kind of know why, right? Oh. Well, here's the thing. In Paul's day, this was impossible. In Paul's culture, husbands were never embittered at their wives because husbands just always got what they wanted, right? They were demanding, and the wives just complied. And, and, and the husband just, he, he ruled, and he got what he wanted. He always won. And, and, you know, when you always win, you're never bitter. Why are you bitter? Well, you're bitter because you lose, right? And, and here's a picture of a godly marriage, of a godly husband. It's a guy who puts himself in a position with his wife where he allows himself to lose, right? And he says, when you're leading this way, there's a temptation to get bitter about it. 
when, when, when you're sacrificing and you're giving and you're loving and your wife doesn't thank you, doesn't appreciate it. Maybe she doesn't even submit, even though you're loving and she doesn't su- submit, right? Don't be bitter about it, right? Don't be bitter. You keep loving. It is not your job to worry about if they're being submissive enough or grateful enough, right? Or if they're meeting your needs. That's not, that's not your problem. Your problem is that you meet their needs and you love and you care for them. And don't be bitter about it, right? So for the, for the, for, in the home, when the husband is putting on the new life, he is putting on a life of compassion, Right, he's seeing the needs of his family and he's responding. Remember, that's what we said compassion was. Seeing a need and doing something about it. They're responding with compassion. They're responding, they're putting on meekness. Right? They're not using their authority to control and dominate the lives of their children. Right? Uh, he is putting on uh, humility. He's not being embittered. He's putting on uh, forbearance. Right? Uh, fathers and children. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Uh, your goal as a father, and I think as a mom too, I will say, is not to make your children obey or to control their life. Okay. Well, doesn't the Bible say our children are supposed to be obedient? Yes. But it's not your job to make them obedient. Your job is to teach them obedience. And here's the thing. When you're teaching them obedience, you're giving them freedom to not be Right? You're giving them freedom to be disobedient. Now, should there be consequences? Well, of course. Uh, but he says, don't take it so far that you're provoking your children, that you're stirring up in them anger and resentment because you are so harsh. Right? Don't be like that. As Paul says, the greatest worry Paul had there, he says, he says, don't, don't discipline your children and make them obey you. That's not what he says. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The greatest danger of your child is not that they'll be obedient. That's a given. <laughs> they are, right? Inward or outwardly, whether they comply to your rules or not, it's our sinful old nature. We are disobedient. Your children, believe it or not, are going to be disobedient. There's nothing you can do about that. The great danger is that they would become discouraged. And they would walk away from faith in Christ because of how you treated them as their father. Right? That is way more serious. The cure for disobedience is the redeeming work of Christ. But what is the cure if you have so discouraged them that they want nothing to do with Christ? Right? We as parents need to live the new life of Christ before our kids, which means we model, we are an example of, of kindness, patience, gentleness, humility, meekness. Those things we're supposed to be putting on. Right? The way we teach our kids obedience is by first being an example of it, living it, showing them what it looks like to be this kind of person. Uh, we know our children are most will follow more. Our children will more likely follow how we live than what we say. Right? They will do what they see. Right? What is the example we are giving them? Um, last two things, real quick. Uh, 
To do this, we obviously need lots of forbearing and forgiving. Right? Paul says, put on you know, this forbearing spirit. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint, if anyone has a problem with you, forgive them. Are we going to do this perfectly in the home? No. Right? So we have the opportunity to practice forbearance when our children disobey, when our wife is not what we think. When our husband doesn't love like we know he's supposed to, right? Forbearing and forgiving. Um, lastly, um, we are accountable, uh, not ultimately to each other, but to God. Uh, Paul says in the last section, and it's a whole treatment on how to do work in the workplace, and I'm not going to unpack it all, but just let me read it. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. God is watching, and ultimately God will reward how well you do this, whether it's at the workplace or at home. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Look, if you mess this up, there, there will be consequences. God will judge you. Right? We, we do it ultimately, we give an answer for our life before God. And he knows. Right? He knows if you are being a loving, kind, caring father. Or if you're being a bully. Right? He knows if you're being a gracious, uh, humble wife. Or if you're just trying to dominate and domineer and bully your husband. Right? He knows and he sees how you treat your children. Um, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven who will judge you. Right? Uh, we will stand before God and we will give an answer. And, and there will be a reward for those who are putting on the new life. So the question is, at home and at work, uh, are you putting on the old garments of the old flesh, the old sinful nature? Or are you putting on the new, the new life of Christ? Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.